This season of Step by Step is brought to you by Balance. Balance helps you to extend net terms online and risk-free, regardless of whether your customers pay by check, ACH, wire, or credit card. And when you can offer net terms online, you gain the competitive advantage that you need in B2B. Put your e-commerce platform in B2B on the fast track by visiting getbalance.com slash step-by-step. Hello and welcome to Step by Step, a podcast by Future Commerce presented by Balance. I'm Philip. And I'm Brian. And this is season 10 of Step by Step. Woo! And you Woo. are listening to episode two of three. So if you're just jumping into the series midway through, I really suggest you go back and listen from the beginning. Um, it is a little bit shorter of a season of Step by Step than maybe you're used to. Three parts packing a punch yes and and, and and could i like i i'm gonna foreshadow just a little bit can the punch get any bigger than this next episode <laughs> i don't think it can i don't think it's possible uh we sort of hinted in the first episode of this season that uh we're coming full circle and you know we had uh to get a little nostalgic uh, we've covered a lot of ground in the 10 seasons of step by step that we've had and you know there have been times where it felt like 101 um this season i think we have three episodes i feel like we're getting the 101 uh maybe the 401 <laughs> And the number two. Yeah, we're, we're going we're going straight into the deep end um, in that we are, you know, we're going to talk to somebody uh, here. Our guest today hasn't just really changed the way that venture capital uh, has made investments in consumer uh, or redefined what venture capital is at the early stage. Uh, Kirsten Green has basically single handedly with Forerunner Ventures created an entire consumer expectation around uh, brand and direct-to-consumer and changed an entire industry in the last 10 to 12 years. And we would not have the e-commerce industry we have today if it wasn't for Forerunner. And so Kirsten is going to absolutely uh, uh, take us along with the ride of like how she's rethinking uh, Forerunner's thesis for a new era as we come into another 10 years of a new cycle that is going to be, see digital transformation come for the next industry. And that is B2B payments. Yeah, I think that if there's if there's ever a bellwether, uh, Kirsten would be would be that. And so if if she is paying attention to this, you should be, too. And you need to learn about it. And who better to learn from? Than, than Kirsten uh, and, and the other guests that we've had on the show. Like this is, mm. this is a, this is really cool to have her on as well. Because uh, if you if you all go back in the time machine to to step by step season one, you'll remember that we actually had uh, Brian O'Malley from Forerunner Ventures on the first season of Step by Step, and so it's just it's really cool to come around on our 10th season and have someone from Forerunner um, back back on the show and, and yeah. to talk, you know, go from, you know, what is investing in, you know, investment look like in uh, e-commerce and digital and consumer and now swing around 10 seasons later and and say, okay, what is an, uh, what is an investment look like now into uh, the next frontier of digital transformation? Um, that's exciting. <laughs> and, and I would say too, that, uh, we're going to give a ton of reasons 
why you should be thinking about the next uh, generation of digital transformation investment and why potentially the home for that investment or the opportunity for that investment should be in modernizing how B2B is performed and particularly that B2B payments relationship that you have. Of course, this season is brought to you by Balance. That is their bread and butter. Um, and, you know, full disclosure, Forerunner uh, is invested in Balance. So it's it's no secret as to why Kirsten might be here. But I think when you're looking at an era that we live in where uh, margins are razor thin, uh, there's a lot of economic uncertainty. Uh, businesses have sort of been really slow over the past decade to actually modernize a lot of those, you know, practices that are very uh, manual, uh, especially on financial operations size. You, you have so much opportunity there to make your employers, uh, your employees much happier, uh, the folks in finance much happier. You're going to reduce that window of the time that it takes to actually get paid uh, and to pay vendors. You're going to have a happier employee experience all around. And you're going to have to find new ways to drive profitability in your business in this next uh, few years anyway. So now's the time to start thinking about how you're going to do that. And I think that this season's going to prepare you for that. When times are good, it's easy to get comfortable and yeah. to not make changes and to not to, to protect yourself for the next steps of your business. Mm-hmm. But things have been changing. There are, have been challengers coming into your industry and you know it. And you but but things have been so good that you know you you haven't had to make the changes you need to make. And yeah. so now is that time where if you don't you're going to fall behind. So this is also a defensive move. It's opportunity for growth, but it's also an opportunity to make sure that you keep your customers. Yeah. And and no better person to talk about how to do that uh, than the person who's literally investing in the future. Uh, so today we're going to uh, get right into it. Kirsten Green, general partner at Forerunner Ventures, is going to tell us how you can prepare for the next generation of digital transformation investment in B2B payments step by step. Today, we welcome Kirsten Green from Forerunner Ventures. Kirsten is no stranger to being on the cutting edge as a general partner at Forerunner. Kirsten has led some of the most notable consumer investments of the modern era, and that's not even an exaggeration, (laughs) literally building the future. Uh, welcome to Future Commerce, Kirsten. Oh, well, thank you for having me and thank you for that very kind introduction. It's warranted. We are sort of coming full circle. We had you, Forerunner, helped us to launch Step by Step as a series. Many years ago, Brian O'Malley, back in the day, came on in, I think, 2018, Brian? Yeah, something right? like that. Yeah, it was and a while ago. <laughs> we were talking about, I think we launched Step by Step with what the heck is venture capital? And so to come full circle to I actually talk it. about the thesis of <laughs> of how venture capital has been powering consumer brands in the modern era, but also how that's shifting and how the, the world is shifting uh, around it. So that's what we're going to get into today. Can I just open by asking you, like, how has the world changed in this last eight to 10 years as Forerunner has been building its business? Wow. It's changed a lot. You know, I, I think that um, I spent so much time in the last year in particular thinking about the change that we all just endured the last couple of years through the pandemic, which was definitely um, monumental. And um, But looking back 10 years and thinking about kind of where we were 
in terms of digital adoption and in terms of business evolution relative to where we are now. And as we look for the next decade, it has been, you know, there has been an extraordinary amount of development evolution. Um, and really so much of it has been powered by people and people mm. uh, adopting technology and the changes that have um, been inspired by that. A lot of this change uh, has occurred. I feel like just in the, the past couple of years, we've seen a, a lot of shifts. And uh, you, you had, you know, your initial thesis uh, was sort of around consumer and direct consumer um, and using technology to help accomplish that. Um, but, uh, you know, recently, you know, we've, we've seen a, a little bit of a change in the way that in, it, technology is affecting how people purchase things. So is e-com a legacy channel now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do you see how do you see e-com changing right now? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely do think that like e-commerce is table stakes in the kind of context of commerce. Um, it, it is it is a vital channel really for any service or product. You, the way you execute it or what you actually deliver on a digital uh, landscape, you know, it varies from company to company, but I think it's more or less, um, you know, mandatory that you have some presence that way. Um, and that's something, you know, listen, e-commerce now has been around since maybe Amazon sort of really brought it to market in the late nineties. So we're 25 years into this. Um, and I think that, you know, we'll keep seeing some evolution in it. But if I think back on kind of, you know, first principles when Forerunner was starting, um, you know, one of the one of the impetuses or our original investment thesis was really the evolution of the retail business model, where instead of e-com being an ad, an adjunct business, it became sort of like center stage and a mm -hmm. way to launch a business and, and go to market and, you know, arguably like part of our investing thesis at the time was that that was a more efficient and more compelling way to launch a, a business. Um, but I think even then, like thinking about how that might evolve over time, you know, the idea really, it, I think for anybody who's imagined building a business that could reach scale, that can really impact a broad consumer landscape, we've sort of lived by this motto of the customer wants what they want, where they want it, when they want it, how they want it. And like, I think the job of, of a business is to understand what that means for them in the context of all the channels that are available. And so, um, you know, at this point, there's, you know, I think, again, getting back to what I said in the beginning is that like e-com really is table stakes for being part of the, the commerce landscape. That customer too is changing, uh, and the definition of that customer is changing as it's becoming more inclusive of different types of consumers. And now, you know, certainly we're seeing a lot of digital transformation over the last decade, kind of powering, you know, the change of what we call a consumer. I, it, you know, a business buyer is now a form of a consumer to some degree, depending on the channel in which they're purchasing. Amazon's been on a tear trying to move businesses and, and SMBs in particular to business purchasing on Amazon, uh, there is a lot of signal all over the place that businesses are making huge investments in, in you know, kind of dragging the legacy parts of their sales organizations in the B2B space to self-service and digital. Um, would you say that this represents sort of like a broadening of that thesis at Forerunner where there's an opportunity to sort of power that next generation of what the definition of a consumer is, Kirsten? 
A hundred percent. You know, I think if you look back on the evolution of, of e-commerce in particular, it really was led by the business to consumer movement. And in that evolution, consumers, you know, be, formed new habits, new expectations, new ways of doing things became routines. I think, you know, that 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 um, expectation and that way of engaging has become the norm for people um, in their consumer life. At the same time, there's been a real blurring of the lines between work and life, and I think that's been happening, you know, on a on a continuum as evolution always does. But it certainly got accelerated, particularly in the last two years, when people brought their offices into their homes um, and, you know, really saw a blurring of the lines, um, literally. And I think, you know, that is part of just this acceleration of people just expecting that what they have access to or what they've grown accustomed to in their personal lives and being serviced really on the, as a consumer where business is courting you for your attention and trying to delight you and please you is now being like taken over to the workplace where people are expecting that same kind of experience from the tools um, and, and software that they use there. And so um, that presents um, a, a lot of opportunity um, and, and in some ways a lot of need because, you know, I think uh, the first generation or, or the existing generations of business um, tools were, were really, you know, largely about functionality. And, mm. and, and I think now there's this whole other dynamic of like user experience that's as important. So we're going to appleify the B2B experience. <laughs> Let's do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I mean, like you think about B2B right now as it stands, actually, I have this like thought that actually there's a lot of stuff that happens in B2B purchasing that we've actually been trying to shift over to consumer channels or to direct consumer channels for a while, like one-to-one relationships and personalization, which happens often in B2B contexts, but they usually happen with like much more antiquated tools or in sort of like old school ways. How do you see technology kind of coming in and changing some of that? Are we going to start to actually cut out some of those things that were so powerful to B2B before and sort of make them third parties or or cut them out of the way? Like the, those one-to-one relationships that were built over years, this technology displace. Brian, are you asking the disintermediation question, but in a different channel? Is that... Is... I may be, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think you, you bring up some really interesting points, which if you think about one of the reasons that maybe the evolution of B2B commerce has lagged B2C commerce, it is uniquely different from B2C commerce. It is driven by personal relationships. It's underpinned by... Um, business-related buying behaviors and characterized by larger transactions. A lot of times there's negotiated volume discounts and there's been, you know, kind of um, less optionality in how uh, a transaction is settled or paid. Um, But I think that there's um, a lot of that that would certainly can be done more efficiently and, and better by leveraging technology where it doesn't undermine the the personal relationship or the aspect of like decision making between whether two people ultimately want to do business together. Um, it's just that, you know, some of the the ways in which it gets executed could again mirror more of what people are used to doing in 
the B2C landscape um, and just ultimately be a, a better, more efficient experience. And, and I think ultimately, you know, be more importantly efficient for, for business um, and, and, and better for those business models. There's the other side of it too, where you, there, there is a, a narrative around the, you know, e-commerce, the, the great e-commerce and digital shift that happened in the last 15, 20 years that removing the middleman provided some tangible benefit to the end consumer because we're going to make, you know, middlemen make things more expensive. So by disintermediating uh, and going direct with your consumer, uh, you have greater margin advantage uh, in your business, but you also have, you know, potentially, uh, you know, lower cost of goods, making it a more attractive channel. And maybe that was true at one point in time. I look around now and uh, e-commerce is nothing but, but middlemen. <laughs> and I'm I'm at fault. I built this industry too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look around and I think to myself, uh, are we now going to do that for B2B? And is that even possible because of that the number of those relationships that are required to make these extremely uh, uh, intricate decisions? A lot of times it's not just pricing and parts and mm-hmm. gizmos, right? It's not widgets. I mean, a lot of times, you know, I, I've done some work in HVAC and aerospace and these are incredibly complicated things to sell and to buy. So you can't really take humans all the way out of it, can you? I guess that's the question. I don't think I don't think so. And I and I don't think we want to. I think the best use of technology is something that makes um that that makes the 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 human connections or the or the you know the the actual like execution of the business transaction just more efficient and 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 better. Um, and instead of, you know, maybe like being able to leverage technology to have um, better modeling or transparency into pricing, um, more efficiency in terms of, you know, how you're putting orders together and, and, and building invoices, et cetera, or, or executing the transaction. Like there's, I don't think anybody that's in business um, and appreciates the relationship side of it has necessarily excited about that part of it. So it's, you know, taking the, the, the actual like execution of some of the details or the, um, the data discovery that, that helps like frame the negotiation and bringing efficiency and automation to that part of it so that you can, you know, um, even, even lean on the part that's like the, the human connection in a, in a, in a more impactful way. This season of Step by Step is brought to you by Balance. If you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, that means that you are trying to gain the competitive advantage. And no better way to do that in B2B than by using Balance. Balance helps you to extend net terms online and risk-free, regardless of whether your customers are paying by check, ACH, wire, or by credit card. It's an all-in-one payments platform for manufacturers, wholesalers, or marketplaces, or anyone in B2B that is trying to streamline the entire purchasing workflow from financing to collections. Get the competitive advantage that you need to win today and get on the fast track. You can do that with Balance. Go check out Balance right now at getbalance.com slash step-by-step. That's getbalance.com slash step-by-step. So allowing you to focus 
less on the intricacies or the minutia and more on the actual things that require human intervention. Brian, we've talked a lot about that. Yeah, already. we have. Yeah. Good friction. Like you're, you want, you want to get rid of all the bad friction that's in the business transaction and you want to make it something that's like where, where like the necessary engagements are a lot easier to be like to, to facilitate. Right. Um, yeah. It sounds like you've thought a lot about this, Kirsten, as, as your thesis always, always had B2B as a component, or have you kind of had to uh, adapt it uh, as you've seen the, how technology is, is starting to change other parts of digital? You know, actually, so I, I, I think that, you know, people associate in, in our venture capital equal, equal ecosystem. Um, you know, a lot of people do really associate Forerunner as a as a business to consumer focused firm. And I think part of that is because we were early supporters of, of some of the brands that were part of this new evolution of D2C companies, Warby Parker, Chime, Glossier, Away. Those companies helped define that business model and that movement. And we were fortunate to get associated with them. But in truth, we have always focused on a variety of business models. And with the real heart being this, the transformation of this industry and the transformation of this industry happens in partnership with the evolution of consumer behavior and expectation and the technology that allows those expectations to be met. And so, you know, we've always thought a lot about when, who are the businesses on the front lines and, and how are they improving the business models or improving the experience for the consumer. But very similarly, what are the tools and services that they need to bring those experiences to life? And, um, you know, very organically from the earliest days, for example, we made some investments in the business to consumer facing companies and were on a journey with those founders to learn about how to bring their businesses to life in efficient ways and what software could be leveraged. And so we learned and met with companies that were creating the marketing automation, that were creating the websites, that were bringing, you know, tools like subscription to market and, and really understood the value in those products because we knew where the demand existed on the business side. Um, and so, you know, since, since the very start of Foreigner, we have also invested in, in B2B companies. I think over the journey of 10 years, as we've watched this landscape, kind of, you know, the consumer landscape broadly continue to transform and evolve, um, we are continuing to make every effort to stay in front of where things are moving. And sometimes it's being led by the consumer side and sometimes it's being led by the B2B side because one or the other might be leading or be behind and playing catch up. And so, you know, sometimes we have a more attention focused in one direction or another. For instance, in our most recent fund, I think just under 50% of the investments were in B2B companies. Um, that was definitely, you know, more heavily weighted than in some of our earlier funds. Hmm. I see, I see two sides to this, like this transformation. Uh, one would be transforming existing business to business transactions. The other would be sort of coming at this from the sort of original direct to consumer angle that you talked about. As those businesses look to expand and grow, it seems like there's a huge opportunity for them to to expand out into more B2B and more like sort of dare I use the word omni-channel type relationships. Uh, what's which side of which side of the equation do you see like Forerunner focusing on more helping businesses that have traditionally been direct consumer sort of expand out, or to help businesses that started with more traditional B2B channels or, or offerings like uh, like modernize. 
Very sincerely, I think there's still a tremendous opportunity on both of those sides. Um, I do think that uh, we we spent a, a good amount of time over the last 18 months really asking ourselves and exploring why the B2B segment was as far behind the B2C segment as it has been and what it would take to transform that part of the business, which is exponentially bigger than the B2C side. And I think that, you know, we're now in a place, at least our hypothesis is, is that enough of the people working in the context of B2B companies have an expectation that they should have better tools, that they should be able to transact more efficiently. It's like, once again, the user almost pulling the business along, certainly having the technology capabilities to transform those businesses, like the partnership of those two things coming together feels like there's, you know, a golden age opportunity for a lot of the B2B businesses to transform, if not a need for them to transform. This is the, you know, sort of the crux of the previous conversation we had, Brian, with uh, Paul DeForno on on the show, Mm -hmm. and he was extremely quantitative, right? His, his, his analysis was there's a, you know, what was the number? $12 trillion, some unfathomable numbers. <laughs> there's a $12 trillion <laughs> opportunity on the table. Um, and that is in, you know, these, uh, uh, business to business transactions. There's this insane amount of payment volume. Some portion of that is going to be digitally, um, uh, innovated and, or, or transformed, you know, through other means to make that easier, whatever, faster, uh, less expensive, reduce the amount of time that it takes to actually, you know, remit, um, that seems very quantitative. Uh, I also kind of keep hearing about people saying that, you know, there's, it's hard to quantify certain things right now because things look so uncertain. So Kirsten, is this, That's true. Uh, I was just thinking while you were saying that I, I was looking up what stats I had on the market size and yeah. like, here's one that says global B2B e-commerce is estimated to reach 25 trillion by 2028. <laughs> So, oh, the TAM is twice know. as big. Okay, well, great. Sounds good. Twenty five better. sounds better. It's all pretty. It's all pretty enormous. It's it's an enormous number, but I, it, in even in light of what what the market size opportunity is, it seems hard to quantify. Is this you know? And and right now, none more than ever, it seems like there's a little bit of uncertainty as to what the next you know year to eighteen months might bring us economically. So I, I guess the question is: Is there also a qualitative insight that you can bring to the table to say this is this is the time to be investing in you know payments innovation in particular? One of the things um, in venture capital is we are making a best effort to think about tailwinds that are propelling markets to change, and that is a journey whether you think it's a few year journey or a few decade journey. Um, and so staying grounded and where there are those kind of big opportunities and seismic shifts in business and investing into those is, is what we spend the lion's share of timing consideration around. When we think about a tough 18 months, that's when the conversation gets very tactical about what does, you know, what, how will a tough, uh, how will a challenging economic environment for 12 or 18 months impact your priorities or expectations of growth and how you invest in that growth? Um, and those are really like, they're, they're two different things. They're, they're both really relevant, but we're never investing, you know, with a 12 to 18 month mindset. It's, it's really that bigger picture. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. so, you know, I think that, 
um, the conversation across the venture capital landscape and businesses that are, are funded by venture capital is, is very different this year than it was uh, the 12 months prior. And that, that's probably true in business in general. But, you know, we are having a lot of conversation about business fundamentals and a lot of conversation about business models and what it takes to de-risk a business and scale a business and, and how we plan for balancing those. And to me, in you know, so many ways, that feels so much better <laughs> of a place to operate from. Um, so, yes, the market is, um, you know, it's. I think it's probably fair to assume that the B two B cycles of, of of selling in new products is going to take a bit longer in a in a market where there's as much uncertainty. But I think that the the mindset and the priorities are 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 in a direction that's more likely to create value in laying solid business foundations. In the sort of pre-read we sent over, there was this question that I'll admit that uh, AI helped me to write. So if you don't like it, you can blame GPT-3. Um, <laughs> do you feel like you're you're having to trust your gut more these days? And is that a scary thing? I love it that AI gave you the question about trusting your gut. Just it's true. Think about yeah. that. Think about the irony in that. I think the other part of that question was this, are we post-data era, yeah. right? So do you do you trust your, your gut? I mean, honestly, I think if anything, we're kind of in a, in a, in a pre-data era <laughs> where, we, you know, we, um, we really need to be sharpening our worldview th- through research and engaging and getting ongoing feedback about what's going on with the, the consumer, the user, the mindset and behavior. Um, and all of that is evolving at a, at a breakneck speed. And there is a lot of uncertainty, as you called out right now in particular. And there's also a lot of life altering shifts that have happened that we don't know what the longer term implications are. So in my mind, I feel like there's a lot of important data points to consider and, um, and really it's, it's complicated. And the trick is to figure out like which ones of those are noise versus signal Hmm. and how do you translate any data that you can collect into what people actually do. And then of course, to marry that with like directionally where you think things are going. And so I think particularly early stage venture capital is always a, a dance between Mm. some grounded research and, and, and market sizing or, or behavior mapping and just like what your gut instinct of how that might play out is. Um, I want a I want a whole Kirsten Green article just on what a pre-data world means. Pre-data, well, I, I know how you would write that. Brian oh, has the whole thesis about uh, quantum thinking and quantum mechanics and quantum computing and how <laughs> we haven't seen anything yet as far as data collection and metadata about that data is concerned. Yeah, right. So there were therefore we are pre-data. We're pre-data. <laughs> yeah. I think it, it plays into his thesis for sure. I'm thinking there's a lot of industries that tend to lag behind. I think you're probably, Kirsten, thinking more macro. Like how does how does technology, like let's say balance, for instance, who's helping make this season of step-by-step possible? Um, how does payments innovation solve for, you know, for lots of industries, not specific ones? But do you, do you see some industry innovation that's more niche? Um, and is that, you know, are those, are those sort of signals of where there's a, a broader opportunity at play? I mean, we definitely do see plenty of people that are going to market, at least with a niche proposition. 
And I think that in some ways, in some businesses, that's that's the right way to go to market. You, you know, probably you do want to step back and ask the question of like, okay, if we're successful in that market, what other opportunities does that mm-hmm. unlock? Either adjacent opportunities or across categories opportunities. But it is hard. There's a there's a lot of different ways you can go about building a business, and I think you could argue whether, you know, depending on the business, whether you're better to go niche or whether to go better broad. Um, it's, you know, it's not always one or one or the other. Um, so I think, you know, we do hear a, p- a pitch or, an, or a go-to-market that feels niche. We do challenge ourselves to think about if you're successful in that segment, are there other ways, are there other places you can take this business and how adjacent are they or how different do they need to be over time? Um, some niche markets though are, are big and significant on their own too. They're hmm. just specific. One of the, the challenges of having this conversation is B2B payments is so broad. It, it almost becomes tough to, to discuss, right? Cause we're not talking about sort of the inefficiencies of certain industries. In our last conversation, Brian, I think about industrials or, or um, textiles or, you know, there's certain industries that have specialized software, specialized supply chains, specialized, right? There's a lot of things where they have become sort of cottage industries of software unto themselves. Aerospace definitely is one of them. So I think to myself, what's the next phase of conversation that we have at Future Commerce about uh, how you take this signal that balance and others in the space are trying to innovate on the payment side? And how you have that a, a very specific conversation about, say, agriculture and how payments innovation in agriculture will push a whole industry forward. You could probably explore that from the sector standpoint. I think the other way you can you can kind of look at a market or, or sort of bifurcate a market is on business models or approaches. So there's, you know, the whole category mm. of digital marketplaces. Then there's the category of distributors and wholesalers, or there's the, discre- the category of manufacturers. And what I, I think there's probably um, more uniqueness between those buckets than there are maybe between segments. Makes sense. So, I agree. You know, zeroing mm-hmm. in on a segment, like what is, you know, what is it that like modern marketplaces, you know, what are the tools or technologies or access do they need to be successful and to be efficient? Um and then really exploring, like, how do you approach that whole segment and articulate your value proposition and have it be across different categories, but that are executing a similar business model. And that I, allows you to be a little bit chunkier or broader, but still have a focus. I think that's smart. Breaking it down sometimes makes it a little easier, but yeah, like you said, Keeping it broad enough, you can still have that big market. <laughs> it's, it's a good way to put it. And you mentioned balance. And, you know, I'd love to to be able to talk a little bit about balance. I do think that, like, it's a, it's a really important evolution for the B2B commerce category generally, whether you're talking about marketplaces, distributors, wholesalers, or manufacturers, which is how do they... Um, how do they get paid? <laughs> how do they execute payments? Um, and, and what are the impacts of kind of improvements or efficiencies um, for either for both sides of, of the equation there, the buyer or the seller? And um, it, 
I would venture to say that it's highly relevant in all those categories and there's opportunity to modernize it and improve it for the better, you know, better business. Um, but there are nuances certainly between those particular business models and the companies that, um, have adopted those business models relative to how they might embrace change. Um, which, which I think is, you know, always one of the, the biggest challenges to work through in the evolution of business, whether it's a B2C company or a B2B business is really bringing the, the user, the, the human along in that journey and how they use and leverage the technology and their willingness to do that. Which gets back to a point we made earlier, which is like, how do we think about where we are in the cycle of really starting to unlock technology innovation in the context of B2B commerce and having that be as much fueled by the person, the people that are working at those companies and their expectations of how they should be able to do their tasks and having that in and of itself be a pull for the industry to come online. Hmm. Not to mention the business efficiencies that can happen. Kirsten, it's been such a pleasure talking with you through this whole process. And before we go, one question I'd love to ask in a sentence or two, what is the future of commerce? In a sentence or two, what is the future of commerce? That's a, that's a big question. It is, I know. I think that we are somewhere on a continuum of really bringing what we have all like historically known as offline commerce and online commerce together into an experience that is more fluid and that is better all around, better from a business execution standpoint and better from a consumer standpoint. And, you know, there's a lot of things that go into what makes something better, which is kind of speaks to what the the scale of the opportunity that exists or the need that exists to actually deliver on that. But it's, you know, we are still... Um, have a lot of room to improve on the personalization front. We still have a lot of room to improve on kind of the efficiency and the discovery side. There's still a lot of room to improve on how something gets from one place to another. Um, so really all aspects of it, I, I think, are still going through evolution, including like who the retailer is and where a transaction or a sale originates. I think it's encouraging from, from our um, viewpoint how many people are inspired to explore those possibilities and, and start new businesses on that front. I love that. I couldn't think of a, a better way to end that. <laughs> yeah. Ending with possibilities, because I think that's where, uh, you know, this whole journey began is the, the possibilities. Uh, and I think that we have a, a huge, very bright future ahead of us. I know that sometimes those things seem challenging to see when you're trying to plan out next year. Trying to plan out next year that I think everybody agrees with is going to be challenging, right? Yeah. But it also affords the opportunity to kind of have, like we talked about earlier, just better balance and not just be thinking about one aspect of the business growth and thinking more holistically about the health of your business and the foundation that's being built. Incredible. Kirsten Green. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for listening to this season of Step by Step. You can find more episodes of this podcast and all Future Commerce properties at futurecommerce.fm. 
You can sign up too to get invited to any of our events that we have coming up. We have so many amazing events, everything from happy hours uh, and get togethers around conferences to our salons. Uh, you can get on the list and you'll get our newsletter that comes out twice a week, The Senses. That's everything that you need to know about how brands and people intersect and how commerce happens. That's called The Senses. It comes out twice a week. You can get that and more, including your invitation to all of our events at futurecommerce.fm slash subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, the future of commerce is what you make of it. Commerce will shape the future and we can shape commerce. <laughs>